Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin in just a few moments. And uh, as you are turning there, we are in week two of our mini-series, 21st Century Temples. And we discovered last week some really amazing truths that I pray that you were able to apply to your life this week. Um, But we're finishing up this series this morning, and uh, I'm excited for what God has for us. And I pray that this morning would be an encouragement to you, uh, but also a challenge. Um, There's nothing greater than gathering with God's people, being before God's word, and being encouraged. Um, There's nothing greater than spending quality time with the Lord one-on-one. You open up the word of God, maybe in the morning, maybe before you lay your head on your pillow at night, and you spend that time with him, and you're engaging him in the word of God, spending time in prayer. And there's nothing greater than when you open up a passage or open up a book of scripture and God just speaks a word of encouragement by the working of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's no greater peace than that. But oftentimes in my life, not only is there times of great encouragement from the word of God, um, and I believe this is also a form of encouragement, but there's sometimes I see some very challenging things in the word of God. Um, have, ever, have you ever been in that situation where you open the word of God, you're reading a passage and part of you really does think, I really wish it didn't say that. I've been there, right? And that's, that's challenging to me. Um, there's a verse in Thessalonians, right? Pray without ceasing. That's challenging to me. I'm just going to be real. I don't know that I could say I pray without ceasing. I mean, and if you're sitting there going, oh, brother, one day you'll be like me. There's this other passage about humility. You might want to check that one out for a minute, okay? But we all read scriptures and passages, and as God begins to work, it's not meant to make us feel like, oh, I'm horrible, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's meant to challenge us and encourage us to strive for Christ-likeness by his grace. And so this morning, I pray that it is also encouraging as, as much as it is challenging. And so to kind of summarize where we've been with this series so far, uh, one of the great benefits of the new covenant that was initiated by Christ, the new covenant is that the Lord no longer limits his special presence to one locale, but makes himself present wherever people gather to worship him in spirit and in truth. We see this in John chapter 4. What an amazing reality that part of the new covenant, which is what Christ instituted with his death, burial, and resurrection, we are not under the old covenant, we're under a new covenant, a new promise. And that beautiful promise tells us that God doesn't limit his special presence to one locale. We don't have to travel to a specific temple in a specific region at a specific time to spend time with him through a priest. We get to, because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift of God's miraculous grace through salvation, we have access to the very throne room of God 24-7. Okay, some of you got excited about that. You honestly... Imagine for a moment you're going through a rough day. I know that's tough, but maybe you can stretch your imagination and can imagine a tough day. You're having a hard day. Things aren't going well. You don't have to wait till Sunday to take that to the Lord. Man, in that very moment, and I I tell people this kind of stuff all the time. In in my life, this is what makes sense to me. If you leave a situation where it wasn't a great situation, you're sitting in your car like, man, Lord, I did not want to hear that. I don't like this. I wasn't happy to go through that. But in that moment, you can just say, Lord, would you just give me your peace? Lord, would you give me your wisdom? Lord, would you show me how you're going to use this in my life? Not for what I think is good, but for what you think is good. And so often, this time of year, we hear a lot of people saying, oh, and we've said it too. God's got great things in store. God's got some amazing things in store. God's got your best in store. And we got to be careful we don't define that good and that best as we define good and best. Sometimes God's good isn't how we would define good in that moment. But we got to be careful when we go to him, we can say, God, I want your best for my life. And see, here's the beautiful thing. In Christ, you can go to him anytime through the spirit. When we gather here right now as the body of Christ, we are worshiping him. We just sang praises to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and it was ushered into his presence. Our voices lifted him up and he received that as worship right as we were singing it. But tomorrow morning when you're in your prayer closet or you're in your devotional and you're praising him and you're just worshiping him, he receives it just the same. Because we have access to the very presence of God because of the gift and the miraculous covenant that God has initiated. We have been ushered into the presence of God. And we don't need to come to a specific place. He meets us right where we are. 
It's an amazing reality that, that I pray we don't miss. I pray that when we go before God's presence, we take a moment to recognize that we are only there because of the gift of Christ. You are only able to bow your heads and say, dear Lord in heaven or heavenly father. And he receives that only, only because of Christ. He hears your prayers and responds to your prayers because you've received Christ as your savior. You are in the throne room of God. One author said it this way. You are face to face with the almighty through prayer only because of the gift of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Not by your own doings. See, that's a beautiful gift that we have given to us in this new covenant. Last week, we shared that we saw in the Old Testament the first temple. And we, as 21st century temples, must be visible temples, just as that temple was a visible temple. We must live in the world, but not of the world. We are called to display in our lives and our words the, quote, riches of his grace that others may find and follow Jesus Christ. When you read and study of Solomon's temple, the first temple, the physical temple, you're going to see a building that was beyond compare. It was visible. All people traveled from miles around to see this thing. They just wanted to see this beautiful building that that Solomon had built for the honor of his God. And can I tell you something? We as 21st century temples, because the Bible says that when Jesus Christ saves us and his spirit takes up residence in us, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of God. And as 21st century temples, as we're living in the world, people are looking at us. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, there's sometimes it's not fair, the things that get expected of Christians as far as they expect perfection and we never claimed perfection, right? But when people are looking at you, you are displaying to them not your ability, but the riches of God's grace. You are displaying that you were undone and lost and yet God saved you and redeemed you and has kept you by his grace. And so let me ask you this week, we challenged you last Sunday, you don't need to raise your hand, but we challenged you last Sunday, have you been a visible temple? Have you taken efforts to be visible to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends? Have you made a conscious decision to say, you know what, I don't care what people think about me, I'm going to live for Jesus and then let that be on display. Am I going to put it out there that anyone and everyone can see it's visible that I'm a follower of Christ? If we're being honest, that's extremely difficult today because our culture is not going to accept that. Our culture is not going to accept you living for Jesus, but that's okay. We don't expect them to because they don't know Jesus. It doesn't change our calling is to display Christ and be visible in the world today. The world does not need another church building. The world does not need another person telling them they're wrong, they're wretched, they're all these things. The world doesn't need another person beating someone up with supposed religion. What the world is hungry for are followers of Christ who are passionate for the things of Christ. Followers of Christ who are willing to say, I'll lay my life out on the line for this thing. I'll do whatever God calls me to do whenever he calls me to do it because it's worth that much to live for Jesus. The world needs churches that are actual churches, not just buildings where people go to worship, but churches full of people who are followers of Christ who say, we're going to live this thing out for the glory of God. See, we are called to be visible temples in the world today. We also discovered that we are called to be people of prayer. Just as the temple was a place of prayer for all nations, we are blessed to be able to pray with and for other believers for God's glory to be displayed. We're called to be a people of prayer, a people that give themselves to prayer, the people that believe God can move. Now, we're going to talk about next week what happens when God says no. What happens when God says, that's not my plan right now? What happens when God says, maybe, but not right now? We've got to understand those things as we walk this Christian life out. But when we are people of prayer, we go to him, we lay it before him, we ask him to work, and we believe that he can work and he can move in a big way. Are we people of prayer as 21st century temples? Now, let me say this. As I said, all of that, I know what's happening. You're probably sitting there thinking like, man, I wasn't very visible this week. I didn't pray very much this week. I'm not a very good temple this week. I'm just not a very good Christian, I guess. And you're starting to do that to yourself. Don't do that. That's not what this is about. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I wasn't as visible as I could have been this week. I didn't pray like I probably could have prayed this week. And I'm just telling you that just to be transparent to say we're all on this thing together. And we're all growing together. We're all walking this thing together. So it's not about beating ourselves up. It's about allowing God to push us forward in Christ to strengthen us 
in Christ. And so this morning, as we continue our series, we'll be learning that just as the first temple was holy, we are called to be holy. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 21. Ephesians 2, 21. Paul writing here to the church at Ephesus, and he's encouraging them and challenging them with many different topics in this epistle, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And in this letter, he writes a great word of encouragement to them. Verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the spirits. We are called as 21st century temples to be holy temples. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that as only you can, you would lead, guide, and direct. Father, I pray that we as the body of Christ would receive what you have for us. Lord, I know that we all are on a journey together. Lord, some in this room are so desiring to be used by you. They're hungry to be that visible temple, that, that, that temple of prayer. And they've committed themselves to those things. And you're doing great things in and through their lives. But Father, maybe there's somebody else here that's got the desire and they've not really made that commitment yet. They, they know they want to be that, that visible temple, but they're just afraid. They're fearful of what others may think. They're fearful of what questions they might get asked and may not have the answers to. They're just, they're just not sure how to take that next step. I pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom and discernment and help them to know that it's not about having all the answers to get started. It's about just getting started. It's about just stepping out by faith as a follower of Christ and saying, Lord, just work in me. Show me opportunities that I would see around me. Help me to spend time with you consistently, Lord, whether it's five minutes or an hour. I just want to be consistently in your word and before you in prayer. Lord, help me not to compare myself to someone else. Father, so often we do that. We compare ourselves to other believers where we think they got it all figured out. And if we really knew them like you knew them, we would know they're just as messed up as we are. So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't compare ourselves. I pray that we wouldn't judge ourselves compared to someone else and what we think or where we think they are in Christ. But we would just be hungry to know you intimately, to get to know you by being in your word, to be a, a visible temple in the world today. Lord, I know there's a lot of things going on in our world and in our culture that are just, it just seems like it's just craziness. Lord, because it kind of is. But I'm so thankful that you are not a God of confusion, that you have not left your throne, you've not stepped off your throne for one second. And you've called us and equipped us for this time, in this moment, to make an impact for you. Lord, it's not about just improving people's lives in our communities. It's not about just meeting physical needs of people in our communities. It's about meeting spiritual needs. It's about sharing that they can have life eternal. And so I pray that you would be glorified in all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 2.21 is a, is a powerful verse that we are called to be a holy temple in the Lord. Holy temple in the Lord. You see, we are the temple of the Lord through Christ. And when we come together as the church, we are perfectly fitted together as the temple. Now, you know what that kind of reminds me of? I think of a puzzle. Any puzzle fans? You love puzzles? Like puzzle fits. How many of you guys would think like a challenging puzzle is like 500 pieces? That's a challenging puzzle. Raise your hand, anyone? How many of you are like a thousand piece puzzle kind of challenging? Do they have bigger puzzles than that? Do they have 2,000 piece puzzles? Okay, how many people have done those kind of puzzles? Okay, Chris is over here. Okay, okay. Anything bigger? Anyone do any bigger ones? Do they have 3,000 piece puzzles? 5,000? I don't know. What do they have? They have 3D puzzles. See, that would drive me crazy because it would just keep crumbling in, and then I would throw the whole thing across the room. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm going to turn on the TV. I'm done with this puzzle stuff. The crazy thing about puzzles to me is you put it all together to do what with it? Take it all apart. And I've said that to a puzzle person. They said, but it's the joy in watching it go together. And I show them the bo- I'll show them the box and be like, look, it's all together right here. You see it. It's, you don't even need to put it together. What do you need the box for? Watch. That's what it's going to look like. Done. I get it. I get it. It's fun. I understand. 
the boys and I have been working on a, a, a puzzle of the big house, which is Michigan Stadium. And we've been working on it for probably, I don't know, four weeks now, just little by little on the dining room table. So, but it's, it is fun. But when I think about this phrasing in verse 21 about being perfectly fitted together, it's amazing to me when you're putting a puzzle together, that piece that you're holding in your hand sure looks like it could fit in any number of places, right? I mean, this could go here, here, or here, but it's not, not until you find that perfect spot where it's actually supposed to go. And it fits in perfectly, and it fills in the picture perfectly, and it's full. And all of a sudden, you add, as you add every little piece, right? And remember, that little piece doesn't seem that important, does it? It doesn't seem like it's really going to change that much of the puzzle. But when you put it in along with another one and another one, all of a sudden now it's like, oh, now I see this beautiful picture that's revealed. That to me is what Ephesians 2 is kind of referring to. That idea of the body of Christ coming together, being perfectly fit together. That means every single part of the body of Christ has a very specific role and purpose that is unique from someone else. It's not better than someone else. It's not worse than someone else. It's just unique to you. And every single piece matters. Every single piece matters because that's what the Bible is referring to here. It's this idea of coming together, fitting together perfectly so that God's glory would be displayed. It's amazing to me that the church for 2,000 years has been made up of people groups, language groups, backgrounds, various economic status, social status. And yet we come into the church, we become the church, we gather together, and none of that matters anymore. We're just one in Christ. I love that phrase in the Bible, to be one in Christ. It doesn't matter the background. It's unique. It's it's special to you, and that's great. You can celebrate those differences, but it doesn't change that our standing is as the body of Christ. We come together, and that's amazing to me. There's nothing else in society that can claim that same level of oneness, and that's what we are called to be as the body of Christ, one. But as we come together, what should we be emphasizing in our personal lives and in the life of the church, a holiness, a holiness. This word holiness is the idea of being separated unto God, to be set aside, to be set apart for special and distinct and defined purposes. To say of holiness, to be fully disconnected from this and say, no, I'm fully connected to God. I'm yours. I'm your vessel. If you want to say it that way, use me, Lord, I'm all yours. That's what we as 21st century temples are called to be. I love what one Bible teacher said about this verse. He says this, The household of God, comprised of members from every tribe and nation, are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, is the new temple, one being fit together according to the eternal plan of the Almighty. Every tribe, every nation coming together, being fitted together as one. As 21st century temples, we are called to be temples of holiness. If you're taking notes, only two main points this morning. The first one is we are called to be temples of holiness. Temples of holiness. Now, I don't know if this is going to encourage you. I pray that it will, but maybe somebody needs to write this down. We are. We are. Not we will be. We are holy in Christ. Now, we will be holy in Christ. We are right now, present tense. We are holy in Christ. This is how we are redeemed. The righteousness of Christ was given to those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ as Savior. Romans 5, chapter 19 uh, talks about, Romans 5 talks about that by one man, sin entered into the world, that man being Adam. Again, this this refers to the fact that Paul believed, as he was writing the book of Romans, that Adam was a real man, historical figure, not an allegory, but that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are historical fact. So Paul says, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and then he expounds on that more, and then he gives us this beautiful promise that by one other man, this man Christ, that righteousness can now be received, and, and now we can be redeemed. By one man's disobedience, sin. By one man's obedience, righteousness. And that man that was obedient was Christ. So we have received the righteousness of Christ. And when do we receive that righteousness? At the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, you are righteous in Christ. And that tells me that then at that very moment, we are also holy in Christ. We are set aside because we have the righteousness of Christ in us. So many Christians are beating themselves up for not being holy enough. We, we, we condemn ourselves and we beat ourselves up for not being as holy as we should be. Or what we think holiness looks like. 
Rather, we must realize that when we receive Christ, we are made holy in that moment we are set apart for Christ. If I can encourage you to write this down, I would, I would want you to do this because I think this is something that so many Christians struggle with. Holiness is not only your final destination, it is your point of origin in Christ. Holiness is not only your final destination. Yes, one day we'll be fully with him. Amen. I mean, do you ever stop and think about what it's going to be like to see him and be like him, as John says? We'll be fully with him, fully in his presence. But yet it's not just one day we'll be with him and we'll be holy. One day our final destination will be this level of holiness. It's right now. Your point of origin in, in Christ is one of holiness. Holiness is not only your final destination, it's your point of origin in Christ. So let me ask you, do you feel that burden in your life? Do you feel that, that burden of just trying to perform and trying to make it happen and trying to make it look good? And do you feel that weight? When you hear the reality that you are already holy in Christ, you are already set apart for him, you don't have to earn that, you already have the righteousness of Christ. Do you feel that burden, I pray, lift somewhat? Do you feel the freedom that comes from the reality that I don't have to earn the righteousness of God, which I can anyway? I don't have to beat myself up. I'm free in Christ. That we are free to be holy, not to make ourselves holy, but to enjoy the very holiness of God. See, when we enjoy holiness in Christ, we actually are enjoying the presence of God in our lives because we're set apart unto his presence. Do you feel the freedom in the Spirit? to rest in the finished work of the cross. See, here's the reality. I know what people mean when they say this. You are not a sinner saved by grace any longer. Nowhere in the word of God are you called a sinner after the moment of conversion. The Bible says you are a saint. You are a beloved son and daughter of God. That's how the Bible identifies those in Christ. A saint, a holy one. I don't need some church to tell me I'm a saint. I don't need some group of people to debate and try and figure out, were they good enough or bad enough? Are, they going to be, are we going to call them a saint? I don't need some group of men to identify me as a saint. The Son of God has said, you are a saint. You are a child of God. Because I have saved you, and I have redeemed you, and I have called you my own. See, holiness is something we enjoy. It's something that we already have received in the reality of the finished work of the cross. When we question if someone like us could be made holy in Christ, we were actually challenging the very power of the gospel and we're calling God a liar. When we question whether or not someone like me, God, could you really redeem and make someone like me holy? We think we're being humble, but we're actually challenging the power of the very power of Christ and the gospel. And we're calling God a liar because he says he's already done it in Christ. So we need to understand it's not about being holy as far as achieving this level of holiness in our own. It's not about doing enough good things to be made holy or to be a saint. It's about realizing that in Christ, by his grace and only by his grace, you have been redeemed and made holy in Christ. You have been set aside for special and divine purposes at the moment of salvation. Now, once we realize that our starting point in Christ is a place of holiness, now we may understand that we as followers of Christ strive to be holy in Christ. And we need to understand this. We are already holy. We're already set aside. But in a practical sense, an everyday sense, a practical living out this Christian life sense, we are striving to see that holiness come to be evident in our lives. First Peter chapter 1. Go over there with me quickly. First Peter chapter 1. Very popular passage, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16. We're going to read in just a moment here. But I want to, again, I pray that that, I pray that, that encourages you. Um, man, I've talked to a lot of believers over my many years of ministry, and I've met so many Christians that struggle with that reality of really believing they've actually been given the righteousness of Christ, that we don't have to earn it. And I know we preach that. But man, I feel like there are some churches that preach you're saved by grace and then you're kept somehow by the doing. Like it's like, yeah, you were saved by grace, but you better keep showing it or else you might lose it. That's kind of what is perceived. And I just want you to know your holiness in Christ has nothing to do with you. 
It has everything to do with the saving power of Christ and the redemption that he has said, I have put my seal on you. I've given you my spirit. And unto the day of redemption, you will not lose it. You are mine and I am yours. And so that set apart, that, that peculiar people that were called in scripture, that is only through the grace of Christ. And so I pray that that would encourage us to know that we've been given that righteousness. But as we've received that righteousness, as we have that as our foundation, now we strive to allow that holiness to be evident in our lives. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Man, that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. It's a hard truth to swallow. But I love that verse 15 gives us the kind of holiness he's speaking about here. Be holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. What would he say? Lifestyle, how we live this life. We need to be separated unto him. We desire by God's grace to grow in our holiness. This process, theologically speaking, is called sanctification. It's this idea of being, this idea of being made more like Christ in the practical sense of everyday life. See, here's the reality. We're saved and redeemed and we're in Christ. Fully holy, fully set apart, fully saved. We don't gain little salvation here and here. We're fully saved. But as we're living this life, we're practically made into the image of Christ. I hope this makes sense to you guys. We already have the salvation. Now we're kind of being shaped and formed and made into the image of Christ. So practically, every single day, we're seeing more Christ-likeness in our life. And then one day, that sanctification will be finalized, and we'll see him face-to-face, and we'll be like him, fully like him. See, it's a process that overflows from the reality of our righteousness we've already received. So we strive to be holy in Christ. A question that might be asked is simply this. How do I do that? I'm just going to be real for a minute. You ever been in a, in a church or been in a service and the preacher will say something and you go, wow, that's really good. Man, I should do that. And then you listen more to the message and you go home and you're looking at the person that was with you or you're by yourself and you're thinking, okay, I, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I have no idea how to do it. I remember sitting in chapel after chapel when I was in Bible college and these preachers and these speakers would say these beautiful things and I'd be sitting there like, oh man, yeah, I really need to do that. And then he'd go, amen, and he'd walk off the stage and I'm like, but what, how do, I don't know, okay. I'll just keep feeling guilty and, and feel bad and I don't know what to do. I feel really beat up right now. I feel spiritual because I feel really crappy, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't want that to happen this morning. I want us to think about how can we do that? How do I grow in holiness Another question that might be asked is, how much of my holiness is me and how much of it is the Spirit? How much of my doing is me and how much is the Spirit? These are really great questions and ones that I believe we can all wrestle with in this Christian life. As we read the word and understand that we are called to live unto Christ in our actions and words, we must understand that we have a responsibility to put in the work. See, the way we live this out is to put in the work, to put effort behind our decisions, to actually decide to submit ourselves under his mighty hand. I want to go to another passage, Philippians chapter 2. Kind of flipping back and forth between these books here, but Philippians chapter 2 in verse 12. So what's a real way I can do this? I'm going to give you kind of a generalized answer, and then I pray that the Spirit of God will give you more practical application for yourself. But how do I do this? How do I strive to grow in the holiness that he's called me to grow in? Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. The Bible says this. Oh, let me, let me back up real quick. Or sorry. I want to put this in context. If you read this without understanding the context of chapter 2, you think this sounds like it's us doing it. But I want to go back just real quick. I, didn't, I wasn't going to do this, but I think we've got some time. Time. That doesn't matter. Okay. I, I, I try to say those things so you think I care. I, I mean, I don't really. Okay, so two. I care. I'm joking. Philippians 2. Okay, it says here. Uh, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or love, and any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So it's talking about the believer. He's talking to the believer. And he's saying, you already have Christ. You already have the spirit. You already have Christ. He's not speaking to unbelievers here trying to get salvation. He's speaking to those who already 
have salvation. So the context of this is not to the unbeliever, do this to get saved. It's, no, no, as a follower of Christ, here are some practical ways that we can demonstrate that Christ-likeness. In the first few verses, he talks about the humility in the mind of Christ, living in a way that would symbolize what Christ did for us, that he was humble and gave himself, so we're going to give ourselves for the glory of God. So verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, and again, he doesn't say, wherefore, my former sinners that are now saved. Does he say that? Wherefore, my sinners who are saved by grace. No, he doesn't say that. He says, wherefore, my beloved. And I know it sounds like a simple thing, but we got to start calling ourselves and identifying ourselves as God identifies us. I know that we have sinned. I know that we have been saved by grace. I know that we can still sin today and be tempted to sin. And I know what people mean when they say that. But I'm telling you, the more you call yourself a sinner saved by grace, the more mentally you will justify sin in your life. Because you identify in a position, and not the position as a son and daughter of God, but as a sinner. And we know we sin. We know we can sin. We know we're not perfect. But we are a saint, a beloved of God. And I believe it matters how we identify ourselves. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. You think that's true? You think they've always obeyed? Probably not. But he's saying, in his understanding, he's seen them live a life of obedience. It says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So he's hearing of their testimony. Saying, listen, I know you obeyed when I was there, and now even after I've left, you are still obeying the things of Christ. It says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Note a powerful verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You must note it's work out, not work up. Right? It's not work up your own salvation. Just do enough stuff to get there. It's, no, no, work out what you already have. You already have this in Christ. Now allow it to be worked out into your life practically. When we ask these questions about how do I do this? How do I grow in holiness? How much of it's me? How much of it's the spirit? The reality is that as we obey the words of Christ, we are followers of Christ. And let me ask you a question. How do I know if I'm obeying the words of Christ? You can answer, how do I know if I'm obeying the words of Christ? What do I have to know if I know if I'm obeying the words of Christ? I have to know the words of Christ. And how do I know the words of Christ? I have to read the words of Christ, right? Abide in me and let my words abide in you and you'll be my disciple, what Jesus says. So as I'm in the word of God, so guess what? If you're trying to think about, okay, practically, how do I grow in holiness? I have to spend consistent time in the word of God. See, isn't it amazing how simple God made this? I just have to spend time with him. And as I'm reading the word of God and digesting the word of God and taking it in, yes, even the difficult passages. I remember the disciples when Jesus said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You want to talk about dispersing a crowd, thinning a crowd. That did that. The Jews were like, this guy's nuts. We're out of here. He's talking about cannibalism. We can't even eat bacon. He wants us to eat him. This guy's crazy. I'm sure that's what they were saying. I I can just imagine first century Jews sounding like that, saying that. And the disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear this? You know what they're really saying? Oh, we don't like when you say stuff like that, Lord. See, we read things in scripture. We go, I don't like that you said that, Lord. But he says, that's okay. I need you to just receive it. I don't need you to like it. I don't need you to like what I said. I need you to receive it as the word of God. And so as we spend time in his word and we're growing through his word and we're people of prayer, I truly believe that is the foundation for growing in holiness. See, Philippians 2 is so clear that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That word fear is not, oh, I'm scared of God. It's fear, no, I honor and revere God as the holy God that he is. I'm not scared of him, but I am humble before him because I realize he is much greater than I am. One way we grow in holiness is to acknowledge the holiness of God. One author said it this way in regards to how much of this holiness or working this out in my life is me and how much of it is the spirit. One author said this, so we fulfill all the responsibilities that God has given to us in his word. That's the idea of obeying the things of God, the things that Christ laid before us. Some examples would be spending time in his word, praying, Right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. 
Basically, all of you, you love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Pray for your enemies, okay? It doesn't say, if you get cursed, what do you do? Do you curse back? No, you serve them, right? You humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You preach the gospel, you, you evangelize, you make disciples. All these things that Jesus taught his disciples and the New Testament teaches the church as we're obeying those things and we're fulfilling those things, as the author says. So we fulfill the responsibilities that God has given to us in his word as we trust in Jesus Christ and seek the help of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that call. So there's an integrated relationship, but we are never in a position the author goes on to say, we are never in a position where we can say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit and oh, that was me. Because what we do is always the fruit of the Spirit working in us. So the answer to the question is, well, was that me or was that the Spirit? Well, if it was honoring to God, it was the Spirit working through you. If it was full of the flesh and led you to sin, it was you. See, it's amazing to me that the Spirit of God is the one. And isn't that what Philippians says? Verse 13. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And how does God work in us? By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. So the Spirit's working in us. Anytime we see something that glorifies God be done in our lives, we have to pause and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me that opportunity to be a vessel used for your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for producing that fruit in my life. We are holy temples growing in holiness for the glory of God. I want to move on here as 21st century temples. Not only are we called to be holy temples, but we're also called to be temples of celebration. Temples of celebration. And these things are not mutually exclusive, by the way. I want you to go over to Psalm 100, all the way back in the book of Psalms 100. Psalm 100, or Psalms, whatever, however you want to. If you're, you know, going with the original Hebrew, it's probably more like Psalms, I'm sure. So you're fine. Job, Job, whatever. It's, it's cool. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, right? That's always a good one. Psalm 100. I love that there's a subtitle here, a psalm of praise. A psalm of praise. See, we are called to be holy temples. And isn't it amazing? God doesn't call us to do something we can't do. We are holy temples because he's already made us holy. Now we strive to, to grow in that holiness. But Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Now, when I sing, it's a joyful noise. Amen. It doesn't bother me, though. When I'm by myself in the vehicle, if you ever pull up next to me at the light, I'm probably not paying attention to you because I'm just enjoying a moment, okay? Me and the Lord are having some worship time. Um, I try not to do it when Sandra's in the car because she, you know, she can actually sing, and so she knows when I'm off key. But anyway, Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Just stop right there. Serve the Lord with gladness. You ever been in a ministry and you weren't really that happy to be doing the ministry you were doing? Do you ever just find yourself in a ministry and you spend more time in the ministry complaining about doing the ministry than actually enjoying the ministry? Well, I can't believe these stinking kids. Just saying. I'm just picking out of the air. I don't know what ministry you're in. Okay? And you have to think, you know, when I, when I went from uh, student ministry, working in the youth group, to senior ministry, meaning working with adults, I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be a huge difference. It's going to be so different working with adults because for the first few years in ministry, I'll be honest, I didn't know half the adults in our church because I didn't really, I mean, I was, just, I was really invested into the student ministry. And then I started working with adults and I found out it's not much different. Okay, so. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it's, you know, you just, if you're not careful, right, what happens when you're doing a ministry? You get your eyes off the Lord, you forget why you're doing it. You know, I, I'll be honest, the phrase, I think it was David Jeremiah said this. I should have wrote it down, but I didn't. But he, I'm going to paraphrase, but David Jeremiah was listening to a, a thing that he was doing on the radio one day. And, and he said, you know, in all his years of ministry, and I don't know how long he's been in ministry. It's got to be, I would imagine, probably close to 40, if not more than 40 years. I mean, he's been, I feel like he's been doing this a long time. But he said, you know, in all his years of ministry, he's heard the phrase burned out more in the last 20 years than he ever did in ministry. 
And he said, you know, I don't know if it's burned out or the wrong focus. And I'm telling you, there's, there's a mindset in churches today that we don't really serve. There's, there's a lot of people that do. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about church as a whole, not just North Carolina, but church as a whole. A lot of people serve not because it's joyful to please the Lord and what they're using their gifts and talents to honor him in and to bless the people they're ministering to. Some people serve because they want recognition. Some people serve because they want you to come tell them good job. Some people serve because they want the honor and the position and they want the title and they want the recognition. Some people serve because they think somehow it's gaining them favor with God. Again, if you understand the holiness in Christ, you don't, you don't get to that point. Some people serve because there's just a need. They don't really love doing it. They just fill in a hole. They just see a gap and they step in. But I truly believe that when we have our minds fixed on the things of God and we're doing the ministry he's called us to do, we will do it with gladness and joy in what we're doing. We'll celebrate an opportunity to serve the Lord, whether it's giving a meal to our neighbor or leading a little kid in in junior church to Christ or taking care of a need in the church or vacuuming the carpet or washing the bathroom walls or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Man, there's only, only the Lord can give somebody the joys or cleaning a toilet. Like, praise God, this is amazing. I love what I do. That's only God, right? That's the point. We serve him with gladness. Let's go on. And I promise I won't take apart every single phrase because we are running low on time. But serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Man, it's amazing to sing before the Lord. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Man, our God is good. And we are called to be, yes, temples that are visible, temples that are prayerful minded and people of prayer. We're called to be temples of holiness, but we better not forget we're called to be temples of celebration. Because we have a mighty God that deserves our praise and worship. And I wonder, I wonder for, for every one of us here today or those watching online, how many times have we really stopped and just celebrated the goodness of God? I love that it says that his mercy is forever. But not only his mercy, but what else is, is forever and to all generations, his truth. You know, there's a truth that he says in his word in the New Testament. I will never leave you or forsake you. That truth is for all generations. And if you have nothing to celebrate this morning, if you know Christ, know that he promised I will never leave you or forsake you no matter what you go through. So we can praise him for that. We can be excited and celebrate for that. When you read of worship in the Old Testament, there are very serious and solemn moments. Very serious moments. When you read of the Old Testament and worship that took place. However, we also see, as an example here in the Psalms, times of great celebration. We can celebrate our salvation with joy and praise. See, we as temples of celebration, we celebrate our salvation, the relationship we have with Christ. Not only when we gather as a church, but every moment we celebrate and enjoy his grace. I think we have a lot of 21st century temples that look more like mausoleums than temples of the Holy Spirit. I think we have a lot of 21st century temples in our country today that look more like mausoleums than temples of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about fanaticism or emotionalism or just being crazy to be crazy. I believe there is a scripture gives us a boundary for that. But I'm telling you what, if you grew up in a church where it was more important to be serious than to celebrate, you have a hard time now when it comes to actually enjoying his grace. If you grew up in a church where it was more like you better not smile too big or someone might think you're charismatic, you got a problem right now celebrating his grace. If you grew up in a church where it was more about singing on key than just enjoying and worshiping his presence, you have a problem celebrating his grace right now. I'm just telling you, it's just how it is. We just get ingrained with these things. But we need to be okay with celebration and and acknowledging that he has saved us. Man, we get fanatical about all kinds of things. I love seeing in the last few years, there's all these, you know, common things that people will do, gender reveals. And you see all these people get so excited about the, the baby and, oh, it's the baby. It's going to be a boy or a girl. It's a baby. You know, we're so pumped up. Everybody's shouting and celebrating and happy. Why do we do that? Because we're celebrating this new life. Man, you've been given eternal life when you receive Christ and it can be celebrated. It can be a joyful thing and it should be a joyful thing. 
Again, I'm not talking about emotionalism or the fanaticism that is just strange. Some of the things we've seen depicted before us. I mean, just being joyful when we realize our eternal lives will be with him forever because he showed his love for us. He saved you. I want everyone to stop for a second and think and realize, did you really deserve saving? Don't answer out loud, but you think about it. Did you really deserve his salvation? I mean, did you really deserve him to die on a cross for your sins? Did you really deserve his love and grace? Do you deserve it now as a follower of Christ? Have you lived in perfect obedience before your Savior to earn his consistent favor in your life? No. The answer is no. But yet we realize that he saved us and we get excited about that and we can be joyful over that. We must remember the gospel is good news. It's good news. So we celebrate our salvation. We also celebrate his presence. Worship is exactly that. It's gathering together or on our own to enjoy the very presence of God. This is what we see the saints in heaven doing. They're just in awe of his presence, worshiping him. Now, obviously, when we see him face to face, it will be different than how we experience his presence today. But I believe that when we realize he is always with us by his spirit, a constant companion, we can rejoice in his presence. We can celebrate and be joyful. And I don't know what it is about Christians today. I don't know what it is that we've allowed to rob us of our joy. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know in my own life, there's been times I didn't feel much like celebrating. I didn't feel much like being joyful. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. Because my perception was off. My focus was off. The freedom we have as a 21st century temple to celebrate his presence, not merely one day a year or when the sacrifice is received as in the Old Testament, but every single moment. So let me ask you a question and application. Are you a temple of celebration? Are you joyful? Are you excited when you go into his presence? Are you excited to realize that he is with you? When you sing praises, here's the thing. When we sang praises this morning, amazing grace. Man, if you can't sing that song without joy, we got to stop thinking it's about this serious, solemn, oh, it's always hardcore seriousness religion. See, that's what religion really is. It's, it's all the stuff of Christ without the relationship with Christ. But in Christianity, we have a relationship with Christ that leads to an overflow of joy celebration. I'm not saying there's not serious moments or serious things that need to be addressed. Of course there are. But it can't just be that. It has to be a time of celebration and joy. So in closing, I want to ask you a couple questions. I want you to think through this for yourself. Did your understanding of holiness change for you after listening to this message? Don't answer out loud, but just think about this. Did your understanding of holiness change after listening to the message this morning? And if so, how? How, how has God encouraged you through the preaching of his word to go, okay, this is what I used to think holiness was, and this is how I thought I got it, and now I understand this. And thank you, God, for freeing me from that bondage. How is God calling you to reflect his holiness this week? In what ways, practically, is God calling you to live this holiness out before others? To, to get into his word, to pray. Are you going to set a consistent time every day where you get into his word? Are you going to say, Lord, I want to put this in application so every morning at this time or every night at this time or every afternoon at this time, I'm going to spend 10 minutes within your word and 10 minutes in prayer or 15 and 15 or 5 and 5, whatever it looks like. I'm just going to be with you every single day, Lord, because I'm going to make this commitment today to reflect your holiness. Are you celebrating your salvation and his presence in your life? And if not, why? What is robbing you of that joy? Is it the culture? Is that the things going on around us? Do we, have we gotten so swept up in being conformed to the things of the world? By the way, that's really what that passage is talking about. It's not about our dress or whether or not we go to the movies. It's about allowing our mind to be consumed with the cares and concerns and the fears of the world. And if you're a follower of Christ, your mind has no business worrying about what's going on around us. If you're a follower of Christ, our focus is on the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has not left his throne. We can be aware. We can speak out against it. Obviously, we can share our thoughts and opinions, and we can stand against evils and all those things. But I'm not fearful or concerned or consumed by the world's concerns because I'm, I'm a kingdom resident. Amen? This is just temporary. We're just passing through. One day I'll be with him in my real home in heaven. 
So we can, you know, we can be in the world, we can be connected, we can speak truth, but we can't get wrapped up in all the fears and concerns of the world. And when we allow something to rob us of our joy, it robs us of our chance to celebrate the presence and salvation we have in Christ. I want to challenge you and encourage you. Remember, you are holy in Christ now. We strive to grow and reflect his holiness of God in Christ for his glory. So let's celebrate and enjoy his grace and his glory as well as he uses us as 21st century temples. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? This morning, the encouragement, the the invitation is simple. As you're there in your seats and as you begin to pray, I just want to challenge you and encourage you to just stop and think, how have you viewed holiness? Do you see yourself as holy and set apart in Christ? Do you see yourself as a beloved son and daughter? Do you see yourself as someone that Christ has saved loves dearly and has a specific purpose and plan for your life. I pray that that's the case. I pray that you would realize your position in Christ is, is eternal. But as a follower of Christ, do you also feel the tug and the pull of the Holy Spirit to strive for holiness? Our foundation is one of holiness, but we also strive to grow in that holiness, that it will be on display, that others may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, that we may be holy in all manner of conversation, set apart unto God in our words and in our actions, in our thought life, how we interact with others. See, it's, it's okay to acknowledge that we are holy and set apart in Christ, but also that we're growing in holiness in Christ. And so maybe you would come this morning and just bend a knee and say, God, help me to grow in holiness this week. Help me to reflect your glory, your love, and your grace. And thank you that your truth is for all generations. We pray, Father, that you would move, lead, guide, and direct. That we would be visible temples, people of prayer, temples of prayer, that we would be temples of holiness, but also, Lord, that we would celebrate you. Lord, I just, we can't get over your goodness. We can't get past your grace. When we lift our voices and sing, it's not just to be heard by the people standing next to us. It's to sing before the very King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in your very presence. We celebrate you. And I pray that we would do that joyfully with gladness of heart. Lord, again, may you be glorified in all that is said and done. And may you lead God and direct. If anyone here doesn't know Christ, I pray they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. May they know that you love them, died on the cross for them, was buried and rose again. If they put their faith and trust in you and in you alone, they could find eternal life. Set free from the the destination of hell and set for heaven to be in your presence forever. Father, do what only you can do and work in our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we have a time of invitation, would you respond? If you want to come and pray, we invite you to do that, whether they're in your seats or maybe you want to come and bend a knee and say, God, help me to be the temple that you're calling me to be. And thank you for saving me. Thank you for your righteousness. And thank you for doing all that needed to be done that I may know you. However God is leading, would you respond as we pray and sing?